It's just us talking about St. John's and Rutgers. I'm Norman, your host. We've got Dave White and we've got Aaron Brightman here. Say hi, fellas. What's going on, Norman? Wait, Norman, what did you call this podcast? It's the Rumble in the Garden podcast. It's not not half bad. Oh, I'm having such flashbacks. I thought we were back. See, (laughs) Pete, for those who don't know, back in the day... Dave White used to uh, do a lot of stuff for the On the Banks blog, uh, the Rutgers site. And myself, Norman, at Rumble in the Garden, we got together for a podcast that was at times both beloved and reviled because (laughs) we were equally willing to talk about Rutgers and St. John's and the struggles that the two teams have gone into. Um, Knowing that St. John's and Rutgers are meeting this Friday at, what, 7 p.m.? Yes. Yes, 7 p.m. at the rack. Um, we are bringing back some of the old school flavor along with Aaron, who's probably just going to be like a bystander, like somebody sitting in the back going, will you two shut up? <laughs> it's going to be I, awesome. I got to say, Norman was my first introduction to Ken Palm. Like, I'd be like, yeah, those guys can really pass the ball. And 30 seconds later, you'd have 18 different stats that I had never heard of <laughs> to prove that, yes, they could pass the they ball. They could pass the ball. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I'm kind of like a gateway drug. You are. So, before we get go any further, just know that uh, St. John's is 2-0, Rutgers is 2-0. We're excited about this game. It's um, one of the, the the last game in the Gavit Games, the Big Ten uh, Big East Challenge. St. John's will, you know, has some hype coming into the season. Rutgers a little less so, but they do have some hope despite having some losses. So we've got a lot to Wait, talk whoa. about here. Okay. Losses? What? Losses. Oh, losses. Corey Sanders? Oh, oh, player losses. I'm Deshaun like, Freeman? Freeman? Yeah, oh, yeah, there you go. Now, Dave's already uh, in midseason form. He's already defensive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, to be fair, Rutgers has not lost a basketball game this season. So, you know, let's, let, let's you know, take a moment to, like, appreciate this moment in time because that doesn't usually happen with Rutgers, right? Ooh, I'm reveling in it. <laughs> Roll around in it like a pig in slop. It should be a fun game. I, I think it's it's um, an interesting matchup. Wait, wait. Before we get into the matchups, oh, guys, sorry, sorry, sorry. let's tell people where they can find us. Hey, Aaron. Uh, yeah, so uh, on the banks.com, SB Nation's Rucker site. I'm the managing editor and uh, covered uh, hoops pretty much for the last four years. It took the reins from Dave, and uh, Dave still, you know, uh, adds quite a bit. Uh, his four thoughts, I'm stealing his thunder, <laughs> but uh, after every game, he gives that. And uh, yeah, we, we, we do a lot of, uh, we're pretty much the guys that talk about hoops on, on the banks. Yeah, I'm, I'm Dave White. I used to write about On the Banks, but um, the Mike Rice and Eddie, Eddie Jordan era just dragged it all out of me. So um, I've stepped aside and let Aaron take the reins. He does a great job, but I do try to pop in um, after every game with four thoughts. Um, and that's about all my brain can handle. Uh, I'll also say that Dave is underselling himself. He's a bit of a celebrity when you go to games at the rack. People just walk up and they're like, oh, you're Dave. It's weird. And he's weird. And he's Norman. a fiction celebrity. 
Did you see the Dave wave uh, last game? He was at uh, midcourt. <laughs> I did. Wait, why would I watch a Rutgers game? Why would I do that to myself? <laughs> well, I meant social media. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I got to be – it was very strange. I got a phone call last week, and they asked if I wanted to be season ticket holder of the game. And I, of course, said yes, so they took me out onto center court at the first media timeout, and I got to wave at everybody. Literally Dave wave. That's amazing. Cool. You didn't send me a picture. No, uh, it's online. I got I to gotta retweet it or, or send you the link. But um, it was cool. I'm walking off the court. It was my dad who has season tickets with me and I. And I'm walking off the court, and message board posters are introducing themselves to me by their, their screen names. It was great. You know, in, in an earlier time, you would have you – texted me to say this and <laughs> you know this is where i, I start singing the veronica mars theme song oh, a yes. long time ago we used to be friends <laughs> but Norman, you don't send friends. me gifs lately <laughs> uh norman we're still friends it's just i i, I was i was overwhelmed by, excuses, by uh, excuses. the waving you're right you're right but let's talk hoops uh, oh, okay. Also, Norman Rose, Rumble in the Garden. Find us at Rumble SBN on Twitter, Rumble in the Garden on Facebook, and uh, we're on Instagram as well, Rumble SBN. And if you have questions, comments, or anything that you want to uh, have us discuss on air, reach out to us at Rumble in the Garden at gmail dot com. Anyway, hoops, hoops, two and O teams. Coming together, an epic clash of titans across the outer bridge crossing. Boom! <laughs> so, <laughs> you're really building this up, aren't you? This is the epic game of our times, the game of the century. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Aaron, what are you thinking? Uh, well, what is it, Norman? Kempom, I think, has St. John's a four-point favorite right now. I think so. I think it was three or four points. I thought it was like 74-71. I'd have to look back. Yeah, I got it open. Yeah, 74-71. Oh, so it even, yeah, so as of Sunday, it was, it was uh, I think, 74-70. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see... I, I uh, gave you a hard time at some point over the summer, but I, I'm interested. I'm really interested in the coaching matchup between Mullen and uh, Pipo. And I, I think there's something to be said there. I mean, <clears throat> now people will disparage Mullen and Mullen's coaching, but I think the team has done a good job of responding to challenges even this year. Uh, they've been playing without, or mostly without, C.D. Kata. He had foul trouble in the first game. And in the second game, he played four minutes before coming up with some sort of injury. Um, CDK is a six foot nine center who's basically the low post presence for the team this year. And playing without him is, you know, not quite what they intended. But I think they've done a good job of speeding up the action with their four guards and uh, and uh, Marvin Clark. So. Yeah, there's a, there's kind of a coaching matchup thing going on here, sure. Uh, Steve Pykel has his way, you know, very defensive-oriented and also apparently shooting three-pointers. I don't know what's up with that, and you can maybe explain this to me. Yeah, um, it's fun. And Rutgers has been weirdly 
efficient? Ninety <laughs> points, ninety-five points. What on earth? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think um, Aaron can speak to this statistically better than I can. But just by the eye test, um, Rutgers ball movement has been excellent so far this year. Um, it, the ball used to get stuck in, in, you know, we talked about Corey Sanders and Deshaun Freeman um, in their hands a lot under in Peichel's first two years. But this year, they're, they're really sharing the ball um, with each other. And, and I think, Aaron, you talk a little bit about their efficiency, right? Yeah, well, just, I mean, in terms of uh, shooting, we, we, we haven't seen anything like this uh, in, in a long time. Oh, God, um, yeah. You know, they, they just set a school record. They've never... Uh, they, they had 26 three-pointers in back-to-back games. They've never had a two-game stretch in program history that they've made so much. Um, you know, and then uh, just in terms of assists uh, to, to baskets, I mean, they're, they're, they're assisting on about 75% of their baskets made, uh, which is extremely high, for especially for Rutgers. And, uh, you know, Geo Baker, he's not a natural point guard, but he's done a really good job. He's 13 assists, five, just five turnovers. Uh, and has played over 30 minutes both games and has the ball in his hands most of the time. Yeah. Uh, but but like Dave said, they've really uh, they're sharing the basketball and 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 talking to these guys in the preseason, they 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 seem genuine about it, and it's showing up in the first two games. Do you think that a lot of that is having Corey Sanders not there, being that he was kind of a ball dominant guard? Yes, but I think it's also it's a really new mix of players, um, and I think uh, that they're just playing a completely different style. Um, they're a lot more athletic. They're a lot more versatile. Pykele can mix and match lineups a lot more so now, and uh, they're less predictable. They're they're harder to um, to defend, and um, I think. But yeah, I think Corey definitely had his style, but I think long term this is. You're seeing on the court this year, this is the vision that Peichel has for the offense long-term. Yeah, so, I, I think so. I, I think Corey really um, had a different team at the same time. So I don't know how much, like if he had come back this year, I wonder how much more he'd be willing to, to, to share the ball because he had, he, there's definitely more offensive pieces on this team than there were the past couple of years. So given that, what are the new offensive pieces that we're looking at here? Well, I, I think the uh, first name that comes to mind is is Peter Kiss, who's the transfer from Quinnipiac, um, is the starting shooting guard. Uh, he's he's really been good. Um, who else do you think, Aaron? The... Well, I you know, um, Ron Harper Jr., mm-hmm. um, obviously his father, uh, five-time NBA champion, but uh, uh, his son, you know, had a slower start in high school, was not a huge recruit. Um Two summers ago, he had a, he had a really good summer. Nebraska offered him, and then Rutgers offered him. There's only two high major offers. Rutgers got him signed early, and um, he had a huge senior year uh, at Don Bosco in North Jersey, uh, where Marcellus Erlington went as well. That's true, teammates. Oh, that's right. We'll see if he gets any time on Friday. Uh, hopefully, because it's a blowout and it's over. Uh, Right, Dave. You're supposed no, to back I, me up there. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just, I'm not trash talking this year. I've decided, so I'm just <laughs> sitting here. But um, Ron Harper Jr. is uh, uh, re- really athletic. He's, um, he's still growing, and uh, he's playing on the wing. 
Um, but he, he's mm-hmm. just really smooth offensively already for a freshman. He has work to do on the defensive end, um, but he even saw an increase in minutes in game two, and uh, he's, he's going to get about 20 minutes a game and um, have, have a chance to be a real factor uh, this season. Yeah, he's found himself really, when you watch, he surprised me. I thought it was going to take him a while to adjust, but he's found himself in the right place, at least offensively, in the right place at the right time, almost every possession. Nice. And and then you have Montez Mathis, who was really the heralded recruit of the class, uh, who's, you know, been a little timid and I think a little nervous in the early going. But, you know, Dave, I was thinking about it. It's like he hasn't mm-hmm. played well yet, and he, he's – still scored 10 points in both games yeah he's just a guy that just he's a natural scorer and i think he's only going to get better yeah definitely Uh, um but i think the two big factors that have changed this game are both um the development of eugene omarui who started as kind of a um a glue guy defensive guy uh last year kind of developed into a putback guy and now all of a sudden he's six for seven from shooting from three out of nowhere has developed a three-point shot as has scored in high double digits the uh, uh, past two games. And Issa Cham has really started to come into his own. So y- you wonder how much of that is Corey not being there and other players stepping up or just natural development? Yes, I mean, it's two games, and it's fairly Dickinson and uh, who was the other one? Um, Drexel. Drexel. So, you know, grains of salt, but... They look good, you know, and maybe even better than St. John's looked in their two opening games. Well, I think I think one thing to note, too, for, for Rutgers is that, you know, very rarely do they win so easily in games that they should win so easily. And I think that was, that was definitely a, a breath of fresh air. For sure. I mean, I think Rutgers has this thing or has had this thing where everything is hard. Uh, and it's been that way you know, for most of our lifetimes, I suppose. We should, you know, reach back to 1991 and, and, and talk about when Rutgers was great again. Um, but, you know, I think about the Mike Rice years or, okay, the Eddie Jordan years, everything was terrible. But when, uh, with Pykel, you know, it seems like they had games where they won, but boy, it was uncomfortable the whole time. So... This is an interesting look. Rutgers with an actual offense. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing is the past two years, you know, Rutgers has really grounded out, played really good defense, rebounded the ball. And so far, and this is what worries me about Friday night, is the defense for three quarters of the games, both games almost went the exact same way. The defense hasn't been good. And Drexel and Fairleigh Dickinson have these two little guards who were able to get to the the rim at will for most of the game. And then Rutgers at the very last 10 minutes would kind of lock it down. So it wasn't um, back and forth, grind it out, you know, hope you make enough baskets. It was more Rutgers really bloated offensively and then kind of used the defense at the end. Um, Maybe Aaron remembers against Drexel what the run was. It was like 30 to two or something like that, but. Yeah, it was, uh, I think, 29-2, to and it was, um, you know, they had a similar run to Fairleigh Dickinson where it was close at the half, and then they came out in the second half, which is also, if you remember, the last couple of years, they, especially in Big Ten play, they struggle after uh, that first four or five minutes after the half. Yeah. Um, but uh, obviously the competition's a lot less in these first two games, but they, they looked really good coming out of the half. So um, that, that'll be something that, to watch for uh, definitely on Friday night. I think 
you know, it's going to be a game of runs. I think the the crowd is going to be, you know, really into it. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how both teams handle it because it's definitely going to be the most intense environment they've they've dealt with on either side so far. And it's a chance to actually put on for for Rutgers to say, like, this is the year we're turning things around. So, I mean, I'm expecting a hell of a performance out of Rutgers and one hopes to get the same level of performance from St. John's facing a major conference foe for the first time this year. Well, let me ask you, Norman, because what has St. John's lineup looked like, especially with uh, Keita out? You know, what, what, how are they playing it? Well, they're playing Marvin Clark, you know, as a de facto center, but they've got a lot of help from LJ Figueroa and Mustafa Heron up front. Uh, you know, they're both guards. They're, you know, Heron is 6'5". Figueroa is 6'6", but they do compete on the glass. And when St. John's is playing free, fast, and loose, when the, you know, the ball's moving around, I think they do a really good job of attacking the glass and at least competing uh, for the rebounds. I don't know what that looks like against a team like Rutgers with a number of 6'10 guys, a bunch of 6'6 guards. That might look very different. Um, but St. John's is switchable and they're, they've been aggressive all the way down to Pons and Justin Simon. So I think that that's what you're going to see. You're going to see a lot of pressure and a lot of extension and a lot of, uh, just fight, uh, without CD Keita if he's not playing heavy minutes. Okay. I'm I'm interested to see how Peichel tries to match up with that. If he tries to use his size and, and go big and try to, dominate that way or if he tries to match up because they've Rutgers has kind of played with a couple different lineups so far this year where they've gone small with with um Omarui Cham and Harper in with two guards but they can also go really big I don't Aaron what do you think he's gonna do well I I think the problem for Rutgers is that they don't really have any natural low post scores except for I mean Omarui you know we've seen him go off before last year against Florida State you know he dominated uh in the paint um, but I, I think I think that they're they're much more comfortable on the perimeter, and uh, but I wait think, even yeah, even be... with uh, Dorson, Ducore, and uh, Miles Johnson. Well, Johnson's the only one that, to be honest, is is really you know has offensive skills. I mean, Dorson is is a uh, you know he, he's a putback rebound guy. He he doesn't really have much of a um, you know he's got a little bit of a of a shot, but. Um, Ducor definitely doesn't have much offensive skills, and he's only played 10 minutes in two games anyway. Um, but I think Miles Johnson, who you brought up, is going to be uh, could be a big factor in this game, and someone that St. John's is going to have a hard time matching up against. Yeah, he showed a nice touch um, around the basket and against Fairleigh Dickinson, where he did what a big man should against a team that's smaller and, and really kind of scored easily around the rim when he got the ball. But I think also if I, I, I don't know how much – has St. John's played in his zone this year? They've played a little bit, yeah. Because I think he's someone that could go right to the top of the key and really find find uh, open mm. gaps in the zone uh, with his passing ability. Yeah, he's a really good passer for a big man. He played guard for, uh, I believe, most of his um, younger days, and then he kind of shot up to be 6'10", and they moved him to, to center. So, Poor guy. Having a bang. <laughs> Ugh. Tough life. <laughs> uh, I'll take a moment to say once again, this is the Rumble in the Garden podcast. Not half bad. Sorry, sorry. It's that. a Rumble in the Garden podcast. We've got our guests, Dave White, Aaron Brightman, talking Rutgers. Anyway, so what questions do you have about St. John's? 
so much so, St. John's is going to beat you by? <laughs> oh, Norman. A long time ago. <laughs> Norman, are you going to be at the game on Friday? I'm not going to be at oh, the game okay. this time. I uh, wanted to, but circumstances dictate I need to stay home. Oh. All right, so Norman, how much do you think the rotation will tighten up for, for this game? For St. John's? Yeah. Um, it won't. The rotation's been probably over, what some of us feel might be overly tight already. It's a very, um, uh, I mean, the rotation's basically been Heron, Clark, Figueroa, Ponce, Simon, Dixon, and Kata. And then a little bit of, well, actually, Brian Trimble played a lot of minutes in both games. So it's really those guys. They haven't played, um, they they stuck to eight against Bowling Green, and they haven't played um, uh, forward Josh Roberts or Marcellus Erlington or Greg Williams many minutes. Erlington and Roberts got spot minutes at the end of the first game because it was a blowout. And we're hoping to see them again on uh, on Friday, of course. Maybe for the last, like, five or ten minutes because it's, like, a 50-point lead. So, yes, St. John's has not played their deep bench. Um, Greg Williams did see some minutes, and uh, Chris Mullen had said that he envisioned him as sort of like a defensive uh, bulldog. And he might be. He might come out for some minutes and just get up in somebody's jock. Uh, him and Trimble if the game starts feeling like they're a little out of control of it. So watch for that. Uh, but generally, Mustafa Heron and Shamori Pons have both been very good about both sharing the ball, ball and uh, generally being good scorers. One thing St. John's needs to do is get used to keeping the ball moving and trusting in that ball movement. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think the offense has been decent, just not great yet. Do they turn the ball over or no? Against um, Bowling Green, no, but Bowling Green doesn't really pressure like that. I think against Loyola, they might have. Yeah, against Loyola, they had 18 turnovers, uh, five from Mustafa Heron, you know, kind of of the over-aggressive, commit offensive foul variety. And uh, Justin Simon had three. Against, um, Against Bowling Green, though, Justin Simon had... Uh, well, one turnover near the end of the game, that was just just absolutely terrible. And he's a guy who needs to... I mean, his game is good, but I think he needs to get into the flow of things with this new team, if that makes sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because they have Heron, because they have Kata, because they have Figueroa. You know, you, there's a lot of players who can attack. And now Simon has to figure out, I guess, how he fits. Like, it seems like he, he's fitting. But just, you know, sometimes there are moments where you forget that he's on the court for a little bit. And then sometimes he asserts himself. And uh, the turnover in particular that I'm talking about against Bowling Green, it was, let's say, the last minute, minute and a half. St. John's is up something like, I don't know, seven points. And this is basically a chance for you to... Dribble the ball up court, maybe get fouled, hit some free throws, right? And he's dribbling, and his dribble is loose the whole way. And two Bowling Green guys are hounding him, and he decides to try and pass it off to a better free throw shooter, but throws it, like, right into the hands of a Bowling Green player. The Bowling Green team comes back the other way. They 
drive it to the paint, get a two, get fouled, and that's how that game got closer than it should have been. Mm. So, you know, just things like that. Yeah, so there's still some of that lackadaisical play that that you've kind of seen a little bit in the Mullen era still hanging around. I I don't know that that's the right term. I I don't mean to be insulting, but it does seem like there are times where they're not fully engaged. Yeah, I mean, I think... During the Mullen era. Yeah, I think... I feel like lackadaisical doesn't quite encompass it because it's not players just being... just going through the motions. I think it's two different things. One is sometimes they execute in a way that is less sharp than they need to be for this level. And that's an issue. I'm, I don't know that I think they, they've executed pretty well in the first two games. So I'll say that. Okay. Generally, generally. I mean, they, they definitely have had stretches where they needed to step up the intensity, but I don't think it was the kind of thing where they were just missing their assignments or anything like that. Um, as for the other part, there is a tendency sometimes for what I think anyway, the team to be a little, yes, lackadaisical about their approach to the game, you know, like going for style points, you know, you know, Shimori Pons will take some shots sometimes that you're like, I mean, we're not on a playground, you know? (laughs) And we're we're used to that with Corey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that. That kind of thing. And it works sometimes, but sometimes it doesn't. I feel like they've been more professional this year, but there's still a ways to go and they still need to improve. And I think that's the place where they might got got by Rutgers this time. You know, if they're, if they're you know, they take a, a few plays off or they take a few plays a little, you know, they're slacking on a few plays. I do think that Rutgers could, with a good aggressive performance find their way back in the game if they're behind or really put the game out of reach um so has this season so far then gone about as you or st john fans i know it's two games it's It's a real small sample size but like is this what you expected early on because i know that second game was close you were down 11 with 10 minutes left i believe or or is that kind of what you expected i don't know bowling green that well or does it seem like there's some catch like you're really waiting for this to get untracked? I think I think we're I think people are waiting for this team to get untracked. I think the first game was good, but offensively they weren't great. They shot 32% from outside the arc. Um they could have drawn more free throws. There's just a lot of jump shooting. And that's a way in which the team can be what one might consider lackadaisical. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're just you know, they're jump shot happy. So okay. that's one issue. Um, the Going down 10 points or 11 points to Bowling Green is disturbing, I think, for any team. And while they made that burst to come back, that is something that bears watching. So I would say that that game was a little bit of a surprise. But, you know, when you looked at Bowling Green, you thought, oh, this team is probably better than we think they are. The, the ways they, in which they were better was, was not the way that we thought it would be. We thought it would be like a low post game, but it turns out mm-hmm. that the Bowling Green guards can just bomb from everywhere if you let them be comfortable. And that's, uh, that's something to worry about because it doesn't make sense that St. John should allow a team to shoot 48% from outside the arc 
if one believes that three-point shooting is uh, is defensible and preventable, you know? They took almost half their shots from outside the arc. So there's obviously something that St. John's can do differently to force mm-hmm. them inside, and I don't know what that looks like. And I don't know what that looks like against Rutgers, a team that probably will shoot fewer threes, but is also effective at shooting those threes. Aaron, Aaron, what do you see out of Rutgers um, going into this game? What do you, what do you think we can well, expect? One, well, you know, one thing I was thinking about, which I, I got asked today, and I think it's an interesting uh, perspective, is that, you know, and Norman, you would know this better, but I feel like, uh, obviously, it's it's a it's a game, it's a big game for, for both teams, but I feel like it means more, this game means more to Rutgers going into it than it does for St. John's in the sense of, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big statement game for Rutgers if they can beat St. John's. And I, I, I see a lot of parallels to last year with Seton Hall. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's not the same rivalry, but in a way, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, locally, it's it's 1B, I'd say, from a Rutgers perspective. For I sure. know St. John's doesn't look yeah. at it that way. And I think that's the point. You know, St. John's could be walking into a, a buzzsaw. Uh, like they did last year in the exhibition game. Yeah. Right. Right. So I, I, I'm curious to, you know, where, where they, where St. John's is mentally going into this game. Um, and the fact that you mentioned there are lapses on defense, uh, especially giving a lot of open threes, you know, I, I think Rutgers has to level off at some point. I, I see Rutgers struggling early on, uh, mm-hmm. shooting wise, cause I think they're going to be extra amped up and I think it's going to take them a little while to adjust. And I, but I think it's the type of game that St. John's will, will take the lead. But then I, I, I see Rutgers having a chance to really claw back. And, you know, you're, you're talking about their lack of um, maybe not focus, but just slipping here and there. I, I, I think it, it, it's a potentially very dangerous game for St. John's and the environment it's going to be in. I very much agree. I think that for St. John's, you know, it's hard to say that they won't take it seriously, at least on paper. And you know, maybe tomorrow uh, we maybe we'll have a little more information from the team on, on that. But I do think that this is the kind of game that you can see some of the guys not, you know, going like 90% when they need to go 100 or like 80% when they need to go 90 because, you know, going 100% is probably a bad idea at all times. Um, <laughs> and, and it's hard to say, you know, because we're not there. We're not in their heads. I think some of what's going on for St. John's too is figuring out how everybody plays with each other, how you pass the ball, because the idea of ball movement sounds nice, but it's hard to do. You have to have a sense of where your teammates are going to be. You have to have a sense of how quickly they move, what their actions are going to be. You have to kind of intuit what everybody's going to do. So that kind of thing takes time and practice, and it's great to have games like this, but you don't want to lose. And then if you don't want to lose and you have a player like Heron or Pons who can get their, their buckets, it's hard for that player to say, no, keep the ball moving instead of, you know, take my man and get some points. And sometimes you want to take your man and get some points. It's a hard, um, it's a hard balance. So it's not just, you know, not taking it seriously. I do think that St. John's is trying to do some things that are for the players that are new. And I do think, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, that um, while I'm certainly not as down on Chris Mullen as a coach or 
his coaching as other people are, I do think that when you haven't done it for years, it's hard to know how to get these points across to the kids in a way that really gets it across to them if you don't have that history. Do you, does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. I think the thing you said that really interests me is that they're kind of falling in love with the jump shot because I mentioned earlier how, how easily the, the Fairley Dickinson and Drexel guards are getting to the rim. Um, and I wonder if St. John sees that uh, and takes advantage of it because if they're falling in love with the jump shot, you know, I remember from last year how easily Pons was able to get to the rim against some guys and, and how that really worked for them. If, if I, I kind of figure Pons is going to have a big game and Rutgers is going to have to try and slow the other guys down. So if they're falling in love with the jump shot, that really changes things, in my opinion. Does Rutgers play zone? They they can. They, Pikeville doesn't like to, but I, I would be surprised if we didn't see some type of matchup zone or some type of wrinkle that he throws in, even, even for uh, just a possession here and there, just to keep... I, I think Pikeville's going to push buttons and try to do things to make Mullen adjust and see how he adjusts. And I think that's going to be really interesting to watch. And uh, But, yeah, I, I don't think they'll play a ton of zone, but um, I think they'll definitely mix something in. Yeah, they haven't played zone yet this year, but they um, they have in the past thrown in a zone here or there to, to slow up or change up uh, looks for their opponent. That'll be an interesting they- – Sorry, go on. Yeah, I, I was wondering if actually Dave will see a, a, a maybe even a, a box in one or a triangle in two uh, in spots. Yeah, I wonder if I, I think there's going to be some trapping. Rutgers' guards are really long this year, um, so I think you could see them try to trap these guys and, and maybe do a box in one or a triangle in two. Something crazy to really give um, St. John something they don't expect. So, who's the lockdown defender on this team? That's a good question. <laughs> I think it's Chum. I do too. Yeah, I do too. Six foot ten and one hundred ninety pounds. Yeah, but he really he he really has done a good job on the defensive end, starting about halfway through last year. Yeah, I mean he averaged thirty. You know he was playing over thirty minutes a game last year, and it wasn't because of his offense. Even though he has the potential to be the best shooter on the team. He, uh, he was not that involved in the offense, but he was on the floor at the end of games because he could really defend it. I, I think he's their best perimeter defender uh, right now by far. Yeah, I think I'm trying to remember um, some of the players. You know, they had him on, I believe, Isaiah Washington at some points last year in the Big Ten tournament. Um, uh, maybe Trent Frazier for Illinois, I'm trying to remember. But they, they were putting him on, like, some really good guards at times and, and the best players he did i think he also tried to slow haas down a little bit at times not yes. haas yes haas they did they did throw him at yeah. haas to try and give him a different look yeah he he re, he reminds me he he's he uh he also he, he's got a little bit of peter jock in his game offensively but he actually plays defense so i i i think <laughs> i think this is the year that he could uh uh he could really blow up and he's already you know he's seven for ten from three but, um, yeah, th- th- I think, Norman, that's the problem, is we don't know who can match up defensively uh, for Rutgers right now in the perimeter aside from Chom, and that's that's a big concern. I, I agree with Dave. I think Pons will have a huge game. I'm trying to remember if it was Loyola or Bowling Green, but at one point one of those teams put in a zone, and it did slow them down for a bit. Not forever, but long enough to, uh, long enough to make you think a little bit about it. 
and they have enough shooters that they should be able to shoot out of a zone. But until you see it, it's hard to say, you know, this is a thing that they can do. I mean, chances are they'll look across the across the court at their opponents and think, yeah, we want to get into transition. We want you to trap us, and then we want to break it and dunk on your heads. That's, I think, a game plan that St. John's can deal with because uh, there are enough good ball handlers that I don't think that they're... Not that they're not trappable. I think they can make mistakes, but I do think that the, these players, even when sped up, they're very effective. You are listening to the Rumble in the Garden podcast. This is Norman, and we're talking Rutgers and St. John's. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to change gears a little bit, since this is kind of the matchup between the two Quinnipiac transfers, can you talk a little bit about um, um, Dixon? Is it Dixon? Yeah. Mikey Dixon. Mikey, Mikey Dixon. Dixon. So... For those who don't know, Mikey Dixon and Peter Kiss played together at Quinnipiac as freshmen. They were big stars. Dixon was the uh, was he the rookie of the year? I, I think believe so. so. Yeah. yeah, he was the MAC rookie of the year. Peter Kiss was pretty close, and it was uh, it was kind of impressive. Except Quinnipiac really stunk. They won ten games, <laughs> and I remember watching them. Uh, I was watching the MAC tournament. You know, I was covering the MAC tournament. And, you know, Mikey Dixon looked good. Peter Kiss has a nice shot. You didn't think that both of those guys would go and play major roles uh, in a major conference uh, team. You know, last year at the exhibition game, um, Kiss and Dixon were, you know, spent a lot of time just, like, chatting after the game. Uh, You know, I think they both kind of felt like, you know, chomping at the bit. And now they're here. Now they're ready to play on on the highest level and or the highest level in college. And they're, uh, they're both interesting. Dixon is kind of figuring out his game, you know, a little bit of point guard plus a little bit of scorer. Um, and he was good against Loyola. I think he had like 13 points. Let me look that up. Uh, yeah, 13 points. And then uh, only two against Bowling Green. But he played some good minutes. He kept the ball moving. Um, you know, he's got... Some good stuff, but he's going to kind of flit in and out of the major contributor side. Meanwhile, Peter Kiss is going to be the major contributor all year. I feel like, I mean, would you say that as Kiss goes, so does a lot of the offense? Oh, good question. Um, uh, I haven't seen enough yet. Yeah, I think it's too early to to say that. But... Um, I think it's more Geo Baker right now. He really runs the offense. I think the intriguing thing about Kiss, though, is that if, if you look, he doesn't have a lot of experience. You know, he's not a kid that played uh, for years and years and years on the AAU and came up. You know, he's a real late bloomer. So I, I, I think that he has the potential to really blossom now. Um, and I think that, yeah, I, I was a bit surprised that he – um, you know, had as many high major kind of offers after that freshman year. Uh, but I think that he, um, he he's really efficient and uh, at least so far, I think actually, right, Dave, I told you, he, uh, as of Sunday, Ken Palm had him as a 16th 
uh, highest rated offensive player. Yeah, uh, that, that was surprising. I mean, obviously it's a small sample size, but he, I think he is, a, he, he could be instant offense. I, I, I don't know how consistent, you know, long-term they can rely on him game in and game out to be a, you know, a 10 to 15 point score in big 10 play. But I think that he's the type of guy, if he has a big game, the Rutgers has a good chance of winning. I mean, he's missed only two shots all year. I mean, that's not going to keep up, but that's, pretty impressive um with Quinnipiac he was an interesting player because I saw him a couple of times and honestly I I thought that Mikey Dixon was very good but Peter Kiss I thought was more intriguing and more uh I don't know I thought like maybe more translatable even though he only shot like 28 percent from outside the arc I thought he had a really good stroke I thought he did a really good job of spotting up and finding spots Mm -hmm. on the perimeter and had a pretty quick release. So that's pretty exciting for Rutgers. Yeah, I, I think... Th- oh, sorry, sorry, Dave, you go ahead. No, I, I think it, what's really interesting about it is that um, Peichel recruited Kiss to Stony Brook, so there's that relationship there. I think that really helped get them um, involved, and I think having that relationship has really helped Kiss handle that transfer year, that, that red shirt in a way year, to, to really develop and, and refine his game. Um, he looks. He is way more athletic and and than I expected. I thought he was going to try to be that spot up shooter, but he threw down an alley oop dunk um, against Drexel out of nowhere. That was really, really uh, a big time play. He's got some moves. Yeah. Well, the thing say? I like about him is, uh, you know, I was a little worried about him to be honest with it because I, I know at Quinnipiac he had a tendency to to clog the ball a little bit and. Uh, you know, look for his shot first. And, um, you know, but he hasn't been that way so far. He seems fully bought in, like Dave said. But also, I, he brings a swagger to Rutgers yeah. that they, they desperately need. Uh, he just has a, a way about him where he, he's, he's fearless. And uh, they, they, re- they need more players like that. And I think that's really uh, helped this team early. So what do you think? Uh, so here's my overarching question. You've seen St. John's two, two for for two games now. Um, I know there are expectations. It's year four for Mullen. Um, what is your gut telling you about St. John's? For the year? Yes. My gut tells me they're uh, a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, I just I feel like the offensive talent is strong enough that they're going to pull out some games that they that might surprise you. The defense was good enough last year, and I think the defensive principles are strong enough that I think they'll win games. I don't think they're just going to like sink into a morass no matter what, assuming that there are no major injuries to like pawns or something like that. Uh, I think that this is a pretty good team. With a lot of offense, they're not the best. They're not necessarily going to win the Big East, but they could, you know, if they really, like, put it together and turn it on and become a a, a threatening uh, um, full-court defensive force. Okay. So what what does your gut tell you about Rutgers? I was going to pose that question to Aaron, so. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I think they're going to be – a lot more exciting to watch. I think that they're going to win some games people don't expect them to. Uh, I think they're going to win more Big Ten games than they ever have. But, you know, they only have 10 non-conference games uh, and 
three of them are, you know, they're, they're only in 30 games. They're favored in six or seven all season. Uh, obviously, two are already done. So they're going to be underdogs and, you know, th- uh, 75% of the games they're in. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, I, I, I think they'll get close to last year. I think they could win 13, 14 games and uh, pull some upsets. But I think that they're a year away from really being able to make the leap um, in terms of looking at, you know, postseason and kind of middle of the pack in the Big Ten. Yeah. It's going to be a, a, the, the only way I can describe this game on Friday is interesting because I really don't know especially after seeing Rutgers for two games, I really don't know what we're going to see because that's how surprised I was by Rutgers' first two performances. So, with that, let's call this a wrap, put ourselves to bed, and uh, what's the line for the replacements? I don't know. Come on, any Keanu Reeves fans out there? Let's put the women children to bed and go hunting for dinner or something like that. Is that it? Yeah, I, 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 you're just making stuff up now. A long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. It's true. Well, we well, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. Uh, you know, for all the years you guys did this. Thanks for including me this time. Yeah, it's good to be back for even for an episode. It just feels right, Norman. It does feel right. High fives all around, guys. Again, this has been the Rumble in the Garden podcast. I'm your host, Norman. Uh, Rumble in the Garden. You can find us at RumbleSBN, RumbleintheGarden.com, RumbleSBN on, on Instagram, and also on Facebook. Guys, where can they find your stuff? On the banks. Yeah, so on, on the banks.com and then uh, OTB underscore SB Nation on Twitter. Uh, same for Facebook and uh, Instagram as well. And I'm uh, Dave underscore White, and you should buy my books. Check them out, www.davewhitebooks.com. Um, if you need a good books. thriller. Yes, please check them out. <laughs>